Yes, block parties, building life outside church. That is a, a key for us as a church uh, community and actually trying to live life together and be a family, grace, family, mission. It's the second word there. Um, so that's what we're shooting for, and that's the idea behind it. What do you like to do? Host it. Invite other people to do it with you, right? Go fishing, go kayaking, go, uh, go hiking. Those are all my things. What are you guys going to do? I don't know. Um, she wants to throw axes? All right. So we can throw axes. We actually... I don't know, Jeremy, if you remember, we tried to throw axes. We ended up throwing bowling balls, but that's all right. It's, it's not sharp, and it's round and heavy. Yeah, it was a different place. We weren't throwing bowling balls at the targets. Um, anyway, so block parties. We'd love to get some going again. So whatever you're excited about, there's probably somebody else in this church who's excited about it. Get together. Let's do something, all right? And we'll, uh, we'll work together on that. Um, but I feel like uh, I'm, I'm very excited. We had donuts for the second week in a row, so that's been fun. I've enjoyed the donuts. Um, and I'm really excited about more than just donuts. I'm excited because I feel like God is doing something in this place, that there is some movement happening here, that God is building a people here who know who they are in him, in Christ, in relationship with him, understand his desire for real relationship with us. And, uh, and, and I believe he's growing this into a place where people can find that and people can find rest in relationship with him. I really, really believe that. Somebody shared a vision with me once, um, like a vision, like they were sitting here in church and they had a vision. Um, and what they said they saw, they weren't from this church, they're from another church, so they don't really know the context of a lot of stuff we talk about. But they, they sat over there and as they sat over there, they said they saw seeds coming out of my mouth as I was, as I was speaking. Um, and that was, the, the, the seeds were seeds of grace and righteousness, okay? That's the message that God is convincing me of. And they saw these seeds flying out of my mouth and they saw them plant into the ground and grow up into these giant trees. This is the vision, like they're having this as we're, as we're having church. Um, and Isaiah 61 talks about uh, it's an idea, it's, it's, it talks about the oaks of righteousness will grow up for the glory of God. Isaiah 61 talks about it. They saw these giant trees grow up. And what they saw is the giant trees grew up, they began to leaf out and people began to come in underneath the trees and they began to find rest and they began to find shade and shelter and they could sit down and there was actually fruit going on the trees. I know that doesn't go with the oak part, but listen, they, they began to pick fruit from the trees and eat fruit at the trees as they sat and as they rested. And, and that's what I'm talking about when I talked last week, okay? When I said that this church is a place for the beat up, for the run down, for the burnout and for the didn't fit in. This is a place of shelter. This is a place of rest uh, where, where people understand who they are in Christ. And for people who don't have any other place, they can find their place here. People who've been run out of other places, people who have been burnt out from other places, people who have been run down from other things, right? This is that church. That's my vision. That's my idea for this church. And the fact that that person sat over there and had no idea what, what trees meant for me um, or this church, we got trees all over this place, right? And they just keep popping up. Um, they had no idea about that. They didn't know about Isaiah 61 in that scripture and that somebody else has told me about that scripture because they didn't know that. But God is doing something in this place. I really sincerely believe he is. And that vision was saying, listen, it's happening and it's going to happen. 
It is going to happen and it is happening. Do you understand that? And I'm excited about all of that. Now, how does that tie into this week? Well, I think in that growing understanding for me, one of the things that I do when I look at the scripture, when I read scripture, is I'm trying to understand, it was one of my, my highest goals, what did the author mean? When they were writing this scripture, who were they writing it to? Why were they writing it? What is the total picture of what they're trying to accomplish with what they're writing? Because that's really important to me if we're gonna understand the message. And when, because when we look at like, we're gonna look at 1 John again this week in this series, Dear John, it's a letter, okay? We have to understand that it was a letter written to a particular group of people in a particular time for a particular purpose. And you can't just pick out a few things out of it. Can't pick out verses three through 10 and say, well, this is what that means if it's out of context of what he said right before that, okay? You have to take the whole thing. You have to take the whole thing as a letter. You can't take it as a standalone piece of writing because it's not a standalone piece of writing. Verses three through 10 or 11 or 12 or whatever it is, any part of the scripture, okay? You gotta take it as a whole. So in the case of John, 1 John, verses three through 11 or three through 12, um, you have to take that into account. You have to take into account what we understood from last week that this is a letter and what the context of the letter, the purpose that he's writing the letter and all of that. You have to take that into account. So as we continue to, to, uh, in this series with 1 John, we're gonna read verses three through 14, chapter two, verses three through 14, but you can't take what is written in those verses out of the context of what we learned last week, Okay. If you weren't here last week or you didn't hear that message last week, go back and listen to it because it's gonna inform this week's. And we'll refer back to it so you're not blind going in here. But you have to understand that this week's message builds on last week's message because that's the way John wrote the letter. It's a whole thing. You can't just take pieces and parts. This is not like you can take one verse or two verses and say, uh, this is like a, a, a fortune cookie, kind of a one-liner kind of a deal. It's not that. You can't do that with scripture. It's gotta be part of what was written as the whole Imagine if somebody took a couple of lines out of one of your text conversations with a friend, right? It could be taken out of context. I'd be probably in some trouble if that was the case, okay? We had a staff conversation a couple of weeks ago. We had a staff conversation a couple of weeks ago that involved some, the, somebody made a comment about the ship being all mine. And I said, well, listen, I think that ship sailed a long time ago and I don't think I can even paddle a dinghy anymore. Now take that out of context and I could be in some real trouble, right? You know what I'm saying? Like I, it's, it's, you just, you have to take the whole conversation to understand what's going on with it. So we're gonna approach the scripture like that. We're gonna approach the scripture and I promise there's no more mention of dinghies at all, okay? Boats, people, boats, boats, inflatable rafts. Okay, so we're gonna go to 1 John and we're gonna read from chapter two, starting in verse three, and we're gonna read all the way through to 14. So, 1 John chapter two, let's take the whole thing, and as you read it, remember the context of light and dark that we talked about last week. Darkness is hiding, shame, light is being in the open, being revealed in front of God. So let's read this, starting with verse three. By this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
But whoever follows his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says that he is in the light and yet hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother and sister remains in the light and there is nothing in him to cause stumbling. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, little chil- or you children, because you know the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God remains in you and you have overcome the evil one. So we're gonna start to look at this scripture. We're gonna start to pick this thing apart. But remember, this has to be informed by what we learned last week. It is in the context of what we discussed last week, the context of how John started this letter because it's a part of this letter. And he started this letter by saying, I am writing these things to you so that you may have fellowship with God. This is my purpose. I'm writing these things to you so you can have fellowship with us, the apostles, fellowship with God, the Father and the Son, like we have fellowship and with one another, okay? That is the context of what he's writing. It has to be in that context. Fellowship, having fun, hanging out, right? Knowing and being known, that's what fellowship, it's relationship, but it's not just relationship because you can have, there's all kinds of relationships out there. Fellowship is a relationship where there is mutual enjoyment of that relationship, right? That's what it means to have fellowship. It means hang out, be together, enjoy one another in that relationship, not just, hey, you know, well, we got a relationship and because relationships can be bad too, but there's not fellowship in bad relationships. We're talking about relationships we can enjoy And last week, John pressed that issue with the idea of fellowship. And he said, you can't have fellowship with God or with people if you're hiding from them. That's what he said, okay? If you're in the darkness, if you're not in the light, you can't have fellowship. You can't enjoy those relationships if you're hiding in those relationships, and if we, have, if we read this, what we just read, and we don't have that context to inform us, man, verses three through 11, we can make some assumptions about what John is writing and the point of what he is writing, we'll, we'll make some big assumptions that I don't think he is intending at all, okay? So with that understanding, the first thing that we need to do is we need to focus on verses 12 through 14, the very last thing that we read, because that is gonna inform some of the other stuff that he already said. So verse 12, let's read it again. Oh wait, first of all, as we read it, know this, 1 John is written to believers, okay? It's written to believers. It's written to Christians. So let's read why we know that. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because 
Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the father. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God remains in you and you have overcome the evil one. Seems pretty clear, doesn't it? He's writing to people who know him, the father, the son, who know God. He's, he is right, he is addressing people who have experienced the love of God and know him. It's very clear. John's writing to the church. He says, I'm writing to you who know him. No question there, okay? No question. So John knows that they know the father, right? He just said it. I'm writing to you because you do know him. He knows that. So then when we read verses three through 11, he knows that they know the father. That should inform how we understand verses three through 11. He already knows that they know the father, okay? He already knows they know the father. Let that fact that John says, I know that you know him, let that inform how you read verses three through 11. Because when we read verses three through 11, he's not looking for proof. Do you understand that? John's not asking for proof that they know him. He knows that they know him. So let's read verses three through 11. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. He already knows they know him. He's not looking for proof when he says that. He doesn't need it. He already knows it. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever knows or follows his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself to walk as he walked, okay? So what John is saying, I know that you know him. And if you know him, this is what you can expect. That's different than saying, if you know him, you're gonna prove it to me. Do you see that? If you know him, this is what you can expect in your life. I know you know him. I know you've been made new. I know you have been born again, that you are righteous in him. You can expect, verse three, you can expect that you would keep his commandments. You can expect that. That's gonna be natural for you, okay? You can expect it to happen. Don't let that word remain that we read in there either throw you off. Normally we think of like that if, if you remain in something, you stay in something versus like leaving it or going out of it or in it, all that. Listen, that word remain translates in other places to abide. If you abide in him, an abode is a house. It's a thing you live in, right? So if you live in him, if you're in him, if you dwell in him, live in him, the one who abides, who lives in him, ought to, should walk as he walked. It's the norm. That's what he's saying, okay? It's the norm. That's what is natural. Natural because it is your nature now. Do you see this? It is your nature now. But it is not proof, okay? It is not proof because you can keep the commandments, but not know him. 
Jesus says that in Matthew 24, I think, right? But Lord, we did all these things in your name. Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we heal? Didn't we do all these things in your name? Yeah, but I didn't know you, okay? You can do all the stuff, but not know him. There's a difference, he says. It's not proof. John is writing to people that he knows know God. He seems pretty emphatic about that. And he says, now, because I know that you know him, it is your nature to walk as he walked. So then the question is, okay, well, then how did he walk? If we're gonna walk how he walked, well, John already said we would follow his commandments. So he walked according to his own commandments, okay? Well, what commandments are those? We got all kinds of questions. What commandments are those? This is where it gets really interesting because John goes on to lay out what commandment that is or what commandments those are. First John chapter two, verse seven, he says, beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment. Excuse me. I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. This is where the context thing of this letter becomes really important. Because you can read that one verse and go, see, it's not a new commandment, it's an old commandment, it's the old commandments. That's out of context. That's not what he's saying. I want you to look at it really carefully and I want you to think about it very carefully because I can legitimately see multiple meanings that, this, that John could be writing here, right? Multiple meanings. He says, beloved, I am not writing a new commandment, but an old commandment, which here's the important part, you have had from the beginning and the old commandment that is the word which you have heard in the beginning. It came from the beginning, the word which you have heard. Does that sound familiar? John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Word in the beginning. John using images again, similar, very similar, right? So take that. What is, what is the commandment? What's, what's he talking about? First of all, he says it's not a new commandment. We know that, okay? It's not a new commandment. He says it's not. So then what commandment is he talking about? The old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. Now, is that the very beginning? Is that creation? You've had this commandment from the very beginning? Or are we talking about the beginning of Jesus's ministry or the beginning of the church, the word which you have heard, okay? Those are all possibilities that we're talking about. What does he mean? Think about it carefully. One thing as I look at this that I am, I am pretty sure, I am pretty clear that he doesn't mean by looking at those two things from the beginning and the word which you have heard. We can look at those two things and I don't think or I do think it's pretty clear he's not talking about the old commandments of the law, okay? It's not what he's referring to because that wasn't from the beginning. That came in the middle. That was from Moses when God, it was interacting with Israel and Israel rejected what God was trying to do with them. And he said, okay, fine, here's the law, okay? That came then. That was not in the beginning. What was in the beginning? The word, Jesus, Okay. What, was, what, what then was Jesus's commandments? Jesus' commandments were love God and love one another, right? 
So it's a, that's, a, that's the whole thing. He said, this is the whole law. It's wrapped up into these two things, love God and love people. And when, when Israel said, I can't trust that, I can't trust that, God said, fine, here's some rules to do so that you can know you're loving God or loving people. The problem is we can do rules and not really love God or love people. So what is the word? What is the commandment from the beginning? I think it's a combination of the creation, the beginning, and it's a combination of the beginning of the church, which is the gospel, which is the word of God. It's Jesus. The whole way through, it's Jesus, okay? And what does Jesus say? He says his commandments are to love God and love people. That boils down to relationship, real relationship, okay? And remember, this is a context John's talking about fellowship. It's all relationship. This is the commandment. It's not a new commandment. It's the thing God set out from the beginning, Okay, John even says it later on in 1 John uh, chapter three, he, he breaks it out and he says, this is his commandment. Okay, this is later on in the same letter. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, that's God, and we love one another just as he commanded. That's the, that's the, new, that's the old commandment he's talking about. That's not something new, John says. It's not new. We've had it from the beginning of creation. We've had it from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We've had it from the beginning of the church. That is the gospel, Okay. That's what he's saying. It's not a new commandment. I am not writing you a new commandment. It's a commandment of relationship, relationship with God, relationship with people. And now in the context of this letter where he is writing to these born again believers how to have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another where we're enjoying that relationship, John says, listen, this isn't anything new. You've had it. It's not new. I'm not, I'm not making stuff up here. This is not new. This is what God wanted from the beginning for, for humanity, to have relationship with him and relationship with other people. Now tied into our discussion from last week, you can't have fellowship in that relationship with God or people when you're hiding, when you're covering up because of shame. That's been the case from the very beginning. When shame entered the picture, when sin entered the picture, shame was there, right? Shame was there. And it was, it was, a, it was a problem from the beginning after sin entered the picture. So I'm not writing you a new thing. Again, in John chapter 13, Jesus says this, verse 34, I am giving you a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church, this is not new, okay? From the very beginning of creation and from the very beginning of Jesus, this is not new. Love one another. This would be a sign, Jesus said, that you're my disciples, that you love one another, that you have extraordinary love for one another, unimaginable, unordinary love for one another within the church, fellowship, right? Relationship with one another. And John says, it's not new. And guess what? Not only is it not new, it's also what you should expect in your life. It is natural for you now with a new heart, with, a, with being made new, it is natural that you would desire to have relationships that you enjoy with fellow believers, that you would love one another. That's natural. 
That's the way it should be, you being made new and having a new heart. It's natural that I would want to know and be known. That's natural. That's what you should expect from your life. That I would have the desire to be known. Whether I can bring myself to that place or not is a totally different story, okay? But the desire is there. The desire is there. So John says this isn't anything new. God designed it this way from the beginning. Jesus reiterated it when he lumped all the crazy laws, even the oral traditions into, uh, in, into two things, love God, love people. And the church was founded on the reality that guess what? Now it's actually possible to love God and love people. Now it's actually possible to have fellowship in those relationships. It's actually possible now because of what Jesus did in his death and his resurrection, it is actually possible. So this is not a new commandment, John says. And then I love this. He follows it up and he says, this is not a new thing. Church, this is not a new thing. I'm writing it to you. It's been from the beginning. It's the word that you've heard. Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> this is a new commandment. On the other hand, this is a new commandment. Well, how can that be? John, what are you talking about? You just said it's not new, but now you say it's new. How can it be? That can be because Christ in you, few fused with Christ, without shame, without hiding, is a totally new experience. Totally new experience than you proving your love to him through following commandments, okay? Totally new experience. Verse eight, he says, beloved, I am not writing, or excuse me, on the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What's the new commandment? It's not, a, it's not a new commandment, but it, this, what, this is a new commandment. How is it a new commandment? Because it is already true in him and in you, which is true, not will be true, which is true. Not when you, when you can do this commandment will be true. It is already true in him and in you. Because why? Because I know that you know him. See how it all starts to fit together? I know that you know him. And because you know him, it's Christ in you. Because you are complete in Christ, righteous in Christ, fused with Christ, because of that, there is no need for shame in relationship with him. There is no need for hiding in relationship with him. This is the new commandment. If, if, if you wanna call it that, this is the new commandment. John is writing that you are righteous in Christ and it's all on Christ. Those are the terms of the new agreement, covenant with God. And because of that, you can actually enjoy relationship with him, God, and with other people, fellowship. Because of the new covenant, because of this commandment that he's writing about, righteousness in Christ, he says, the darkness is passing away. It's already leaving. The desire to hide is already leaving because the true light is already shining in you. It's Christ already in you and you can expect that when it's Christ in you, that Christ is shining through. That's what you can expect, John is saying. 
It has to be in the context of fellowship. It has to be in the context of light being revealed, darkness being concealed or concealing. It has to be in that concept. I wanna step back and I wanna reiterate what John is saying here with this, this idea of he knows who they are. He knows they're already in Christ, okay? Because he knows they're already in Christ, he's not looking for proof. He's not looking for proof. He's telling them that this is a way you can know, okay? That, that, that you can expect this to be true for you, but he already knows them. It's already true in them. It's a natural outflow of this being true in them. He's helping them see that. Your desire to have fellowship with one another, your desire to come out of shame, that's proof for you. I don't need proof. I don't need evidence. I know it for you. But it, it can sh it'll show you, right? It'll show you. Here's the difference of, 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 of an expectation of, of needing evidence or needing proof in a relationship. The difference is if I don't have to prove it, if I don't have to prove it, well, then I can be genuine and I can be natural and I can, I can, I can let this natural outflow of, of the uh, exit of shame, that can happen at a pace that I'm comfortable with, that fits who I am, that fits where I am. Okay, because if I, am, if I am expected to prove anything, man, I'm gonna work really hard to prove to you that I love you. I'm gonna work really hard to prove to you that, that this is true for me in my life, okay? That this is gonna be evidence that I am made new, man, I'm gonna prove it to you. You ever been in a relationship with somebody that needed to prove something? That's, that's not fellowship, okay? That's not an enjoyable relationship. When somebody feels like, they wanna be in a relationship with me, but they need to prove something to me. They need to prove to me how much, that's not natural. That, I don't know how else to say it, but it feels proovy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's over the top. It's like, what, what's going, I don't, I, I gotta distance myself from that, okay? I don't need proof that you love me. I don't need proof that the love of Christ is in you. I know he's in you, okay? Let's just enjoy being together. I don't need proof in that way doesn't make for good fellowship. And John is saying, this is the case for you. I know this is the case for you. This is the new reality for you, that you who know God have experienced him. You probably have a hunch, right? That you have this feeling going on. And I wanna help you see it clearly. You don't have a need to walk in the darkness anymore. There is no reason for hiding. You can walk in the light of God without fear, without shame, and that's the way that it should be. You can fellowship with God. You can enjoy relationship with him, and you can do it expecting that this commandment that was from the beginning to love God and to love people and to love one another in the fellowship, you can expect that to begin to manifest itself in your life. It's gonna be the truth because you know him. John continues in verse nine. He says, the one who says that he is in the light and yet hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. Remember the context of light and dark. We're not talking good and evil. We're talking 
without shame or hiding in shame, okay? The one who says he's in the light, this is John, but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness. The one who says he loves, he's in the light, he's not walking in shame, but hates his brother or sister can't themselves be walking in the light. When you walk in the light, recognizing that there is no reason to hide in shame for your sin in relationship with God, you don't look at your brother or sister in Christ and detest them or hate them for their sin. Because remember, the only way you can walk in the light is to, and not hide in fear that your deeds are gonna be exposed is to understand that Christ is faithful, Christ is righteous, Christ has forgiven you. Verse 12, your sins have been forgiven you on account of his name. that he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's him alone. It's on his name. And because of him, you've been made new. And when you can understand that you have been made new because of him alone, you begin to understand that other people, your brothers and sisters in Christ, have been made new because of him alone. You see that? When you can understand in your relationship with God that you can walk in the light, that there's no reason for shame, then you can look at your brothers and sisters in Christ and understand there's no reason for them to walk in shame either, okay? I don't have to because of my sin. You don't have to because of your sin. You don't have to walk in shame. And when that's the case, you won't detest your brothers or sisters because of sin. You'll love them and you'll walk with them despite it. John drives this point home in verse 10. He says, the one who loves his brother and sister remains in the light and there is nothing in him to cause stumbling. But the one who hates his brother or sister in the darkness walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. When you abide in the light, when you live in the knowledge that nothing is unseen to God, and yet there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When you can live in that knowledge, you can love your brothers and sisters in the same way. John says, that knowledge, walking in the light, man, that really frees you up for relationship all of a sudden. Absolutely frees you up for relationship. There's not a lot to trip on, he says, in the light. When you can live in relationship in the light, there's not a lot of trip on because you understand there's not condemnation for you and there's not condemnation for them. There's no reason for shame in Christ. But the one who is in the darkness and hiding in shame and fear, you will look at your brother and your sister in the same way, detesting them the same way you detest yourself for sin. And that person, John says, doesn't know where they are, doesn't know where they're going because the shame and the hiding have blinded them to the truth. That's a heavy statement. I understand that. But I believe it's a powerful one. I believe it's the picture of the two realities that Christians can experience. Number one, you can enter or you can either understand 
yourself to be a saved sinner who feels shame. And so you project that onto other people who should feel shame in their relationship with God and people. Or you can understand yourself to be a righteous saint because of the finished work of Christ and know that your brothers and sisters are that too. Those are the two things, two realities of your Christian walk. That's the message of 1 John. Real fellowship with God and with other people, it's now possible because of the new thing that Christ has done. Real relationships where you don't have to pretend, you don't have to cover up, you don't have to hide, they're actually possible because Christ has done the fixing. The reality of your nature has been changed. Now it's actually possible to love God and have fellowship with God. Now it's actually possible to have fellowship with God and with other people without condemnation. That wasn't possible before Christ's death and resurrection. When I realize that Christ has made me right in relationship with him, I can realize that Christ has made you right in, right in relationship with him. And there's no need for condemnation between us. When I realize that I'm okay in Christ, I can see you and understand that you're okay in Christ. It's freeing. There's nothing to trip on. It's freeing in the light. Now I can hear the objections already. Okay? I hear the objections already. But listen, in that freedom, we want what's best for one another, don't we? Because we actually love each other. We want what is best for one another. And in that freedom, we can actually talk to one another. We can actually walk with one another. And in the process, we can actually maybe even hand out some pointers in life to one another and say, hey, you know what? I noticed that every time you pick up that rock and you drop it on your foot, it hurts. That thing in your life you continually do that's causing you pain or people in your lives pain, you might want to stop. Okay? You might want to stop picking up the rock and dropping it on your foot. Sin is never good. Never. Sin is never good. Sin leads to pain. It leads to confusion. It leads to heartache in our life experience, okay? You aren't built for sin anymore. That's the reality. It's not who you are. Continued sin hurts in a lot of ways. It hurts you. It hurts the people around you. It can land you in jail. You want to, like, Sin is still a thing and it still hurts. You aren't built for it. Continued sin hurts. It never leads to the life that God designed for you and wants you to experience. But I'm hoping for relationships in this place where we can walk together in the light together. We can walk together understanding there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no need for condemnation in our relationships with one another. And you know what happens in that environment? Sin is brought to light without condemnation. 
and it can actually be addressed rather than stay hiding in the dark and grow and grow and grow like a moldy basement. It can actually be addressed. The absence of condemnation in our relationships actually allows sin to be brought into the light so they can be addressed rather than continue to be covered up. So in the light, we can actually help one another. We can actually walk together in freedom because we aren't hiding from one another. John says that the one who lives in him ought to walk as he walked. And when I look at how he walked, I love this idea, this line. When I look at how he walked, he had nothing to prove and he had nothing to lose in relationship with God and in relationship with the people around him. He had nothing to prove and he had nothing to lose. He walked in total freedom with God and with people. Doesn't mean he liked sin. He told people to stop sin. Right after he said, I don't condemn you for it, but stop. Go and sin no more. Stop. It's not good for you. It hurts. You're going to hurt people around you. Stop. But I don't condemn you for it. He lived, Jesus lived in such a way that people were not condemned for their sin and yet were freed to come away from it because of relationship with him. I think that's possible for us to have that same experience because he lives right here. He's in us, living through us because we've been freed from sin by him alone. We know where we came from. We know what he's doing in our lives and we know who we are in him. Nothing to prove and nothing to lose because of him. First John is a letter about freedom in relationship with God, freedom in relationship with one another, fellowship, mutual enjoyment of relationship because of Christ, to know and to be known. It's a dear John letter to shame and to hiding. Come into the light. No reason to hide, no reason for shame. For you who know him, for you who know him, for us who know him, this can be our experience. It's what's possible now because of Christ. And John is writing to these people saying, this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to experience so that you can have real fellowship with us and with one another. This is not a DIY letter on improving yourself. It's a declaration of freedom and relationship and a notice about what you can expect to be true in your life as a born again, made new person in Christ. It's not a new commandment. It's what God set out for from the beginning and what he's actually made possible now because of Christ. As the worship team comes back up, I wanna pray. But before I do, I wanna reiterate that this is the truth for those who know him. This is the truth for those who know him. This is what you can expect in your life. You can expect 
that you would have the desire to enjoy relationship with God. You can expect that you would have the desire to enjoy fellowship and relationship with other believers. That can be your experience. I believe that's true for 100% of Christians. Your desire is to know and be known. Your desire is. I believe that is the reality for very few people because we're afraid to come into the light. We're still hiding. We still have the shame thing stuck on us. We're still reading scripture in a way that keeps us in that hiding. We read the things, uh, we read a couple of sentences and it says, I'm not writing a new commandment, I'm writing the old commandment. And we go, oh, old commandment, back to, the, back, to the, back to the laws, 10 commandments. This is how we gotta live, this is how we gotta do it. You can do those things without knowing him, okay? Our laws in the country are built on them. Moral laws, right? How many people actually know Christ because of that? Not very many. It is the reality for you that you can experience. And I believe if you don't experience it, you'll want to experience it because it's what we were built for. It's what we were designed for from the very beginning. It's not new. It's not new. It's from the very beginning. And I think if most people believe that there is a sliver of a chance that God looks down his nose at us, we're going to hide. We're going to hide from that relationship. But the truth is he doesn't. There is no condemnation. If you can embrace that, if you can understand that there is no condemnation for those in Christ, you will come to him instead of run from him. You will walk in the light without shame and without condemnation. It's for you. And I believe it is the experience that 100% of Christians want and yet very few actually get to experience while we walk this planet because we're afraid. What are people gonna think? What are people gonna do? But I want this place to be a place where that can actually happen. So why don't you all come up to your feet and let's just pray before we go into worship. Father God, I thank you for being a good dad. I thank you for being a father who we can trust, who never fails, who is always faithful, a father who is 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 always, always, always good. One who never leaves or abandons us. One who wants a relationship with us, who desires a relationship, who made possible the relationship, who set out from the very beginning for us to be loved and love you, loved by you and to love you and to also experience fellowship love, relationship with one another. You've given that to us and that desire and you made it possible for us to actually experience that because you have taken away all reason for shame in the name of Jesus Christ, in the work of Jesus Christ. God, make this that place. Make this that place where we can walk in the light. Make this that place where oaks of righteousness have grown up and people can come and rest in that truth and that understanding and that knowledge that you have done all the work and you're calling us to live in that. God, it's not easy, it's not clean, it's not neat to walk in the light. But it's the best possible thing that we could ask for if we're willing to step into it. 
So God, I pray that you would move us away from shame, move us away from hiding, move us into relationship with you, trusting you into relationship with one another in freedom because of grace. Make us a family because of grace, God, and let us open the doors for other people to come in who don't have a place. Amen. Amen.